Almighty God, uh, as we come to consider your commandments, um, it's, it's a super scary thing. Um, raises up all kinds of uh, difficulties and troubles in our minds and in our hearts. Um, and it did in the Israelites. They were scared to death of you. Father, you, you have shown again and again that as scary as you are, you are merciful and kind and loving. And so on the basis of your mercy and kindness, and also on the basis of your bigness and glorious scariness, all, on the basis of all of that, we come and we boldly say, will you show us your power and your greatness, your glory and your mercy? And will you do it in such a way that you move our hearts to trust you more than we do right now? Will you uh, target those areas of our lives where we don't want to trust you? We don't think you're trustworthy. And maybe we don't even know that we think that. Some of us almost certainly do know that we don't trust you. But will you move in the areas of our hearts where we resist you, where we're frightened of you, where we want to run away? Meet us there and overturn us with your kindness and your love and your mercy and draw us into that relationship for which we were made. And so we ask you to do that. Holy Spirit, we ask you to work very powerfully through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, it's helpful if you turn back to page 9 in your service sheets. We're looking at that uh, reading from Exodus. We're continuing our series in the book of Exodus. We've been there for months. Um, but now we're at a, a really critical moment. Because now we are finally getting to the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, if you've been with us since the beginning of the, uh, of the fall, you know that we've been following the story of Israel. Uh, Israel, when we meet them, they are enslaved in Egypt, and there's very little reason to think that they're ever going to get out of it. But then God uh, introduces himself to Israel by rescuing them. They didn't really know much about God before he rescued them, but he does rescue them, and they begin to get to know him. And now, remember last week... Israel is at the foot, out, out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they are at the foot of a big, big mountain, and uh, now we finally get the Ten Commandments. And it's hard to overstate just how important these Ten Commandments are. Um, we're really, as we look at these commandments, we're, we're nearing the uh, epicenter or the nerve center of biblical um, moral vision, Christian moral vision. Uh, and literally for thousands of years, not just 2,000 years, but more than that, long, long time more than that, uh, billions of people have built their lives on these commandments. Uh, these commandments have shaped billions of choices. Maybe more than that, I don't really know. When one, once we get beyond billions, I, I don't even know what anything means. I don't really know what billions means either. But anyways, you know, it just, th these things have shaped people for thousands of years. It's hard to overstate just how important they are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to slow down. We're going to take one commandment a week. Uh, and um, today it's, it's verse 3. The Lord says to Israel, you shall have no other gods before me. And uh, basically what that means is that for us is that Christians are supposed to prefer God above everything else. We are to trust God more than we trust anybody else. We are to love God more than we love anybody else. So that's where we're going to go. But wait. Because before we uh, delve into that and unpack that, um, I, I want to just recognize a difficulty or a set of difficulties. Um, 
this week as I was preparing and studying the text, I, I imagined a conversation. And in my mind, I was imagining a conversation between um, someone who, who doesn't have a Christian background and is hanging out at Emmanuel and uh, this person's friend who grew up in church. And I'm, I'm imagining a conversation. And in my mind, it went something like this. Um, the person who doesn't have a Christian background but is hanging around Emmanuel says um, to, uh, to his friend that grew up in church, hey, listen, something like this. Hey, l- listen, um, uh, it's been kind of funny hanging around Emmanuel. You guys aren't quite as lame as I thought you were. I mean, you're, you're weird, but, but in a different way than I anticipated. Um, and there, there's a few things that I kind of like. Um, about about you guys, um, it, you guys are usually pretty nice and rowdy rah that stuff like that. But here's one of the things: if I'm honest, says this imaginary person, if I'm honest, I get really nervous when you guys start talking about commandments and rules and stuff like that, and morality and stuff like that. I get really nervous. I, I get scared. And the reason I get scared is that it seems like you Christians have a tendency to take the rules of your community and then hoist them on other people and just sort of squish us with them and almost weaponize them. And it's scary, it's frightening, and I'm really nervous. Uh, even I'm talking to you about this right now, I'm nervous about that because um, I think you're going to uh, try to uh, push me into a mold that's not me and, and try to make me live uh, that's in a way that's not authentic to who I am. So what do you think of that? Um, and, and then I imagine the, the, the kid who grew up in church responds something like this. Yeah kind of feel the same way. And in, my, in my mind, the, the person responds with, yeah, you know what, if I'm honest, um, can I? Okay, if I'm honest, if, um, when church starts talking about commandments, I feel shame and guilt and fear uh, because the reality is that um, I, I just, I, I never really feel like I, I live up to it. And so what I usually try to do is I try to either ignore it and dissociate or I try harder, neither really work. And then I imagine the, the person that didn't, the friend that didn't grow up in church says, well, that's disconcerting. Um, and th- but then he continues, but while we're at it, you guys aren't very good at keeping these commands, are you? Because it seems like even some of your people who yell the rules loudest end up eventually making it into newspapers because they're terrible at keeping them themselves. Aren't you guys like hypocrites? And the kid that grew up in church sighs, avoids eye contact, and says, yeah, that's what I hate most about church. Now, why am I saying this? Well, here's why. Emmanuel, we're coming to the Ten Commandments. And as we come to the Ten Commandments, can we just be honest that it's uncomfortable? And can we be honest in naming our fears with each other and our objections with each other, and the, the, the tensions that we feel and the defenses that we raise, can we just be honest about those things? And go ahead and name them and just put them out there in the open and, and, and allow God to have a go at dealing with them. And I, I say that that's going to take vulnerability. And I'm asking you for vulnerability. And here's why um, it's worth being vulnerable. What I hope to uh, 
what, what I think we're going to discover is that God has a very specific agenda for us in bringing us into the Ten Commandments. And his agenda is bigger than just making us rule keepers. There are rules, but his agenda is bigger than just making us rule keepers. God's agenda is to draw you into him, draw you to himself, draw you into a deeper and closer and more intimate relationship with himself. He wants to draw you to a type of freedom that is bigger than your capacity to imagine it right now. He wants to draw you to intimacy that is bigger than your capacity to imagine it right now. He wants to draw you into a kind of fulfillment that is different than what you can imagine from the outside. And so come vulnerable. Now, that's a big ask. Here's, let's start to weigh it in. And I want to, look at, want to look at this first commandment because it's crucial to all the rest of them. Look at verse 1. And God spoke all these words to Israel, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's where we're stopping. Now, on the face of it, it's pretty obvious, right? Um, at this point in uh, the history of religion, most uh, nations worshipped lots of gods. It was kind of a well-diversified portfolio of spirituality. And so you'd, you'd kind of hedge your bets by worshipping lots of gods. And this commandment says, nope, that's not the way we roll here. Israel, just one. You only worship me, says the Lord. And voila, monotheism was invented. Um, now, that's true. But look at them again, and let's go deeper. The word love doesn't show up in those verses. Shows up a few verses later. But I want to show you that this command, this first command, is all about love, or maybe better, trust, and then love. Let me explain. Imagine the scene. Israel is uh, encamped at the bottom of a big uh, desert mountain, Mount Sinai. And the Lord is up at the top. Now, they can't see the Lord um, as he is. He's, he's kind of represented by clouds and fire, and it's really, really dramatic and scary. Um, now, before this moment and after this moment, the Lord usually speaks to Israel through Moses. So the Lord speaks to Moses. Moses then relays the message uh, to Israel. So generally speaking, Moses is always an in intermediary. But not this time, not right now. This is a moment where the Lord speaks to Israel directly. There's something very relational about this. And it follows straight from last week. Do you remember last week? Um, last week we saw how Israel and God entered into a new kind of committed relationship with each other. We called it a covenant. It's a little bit like a marriage. It's a little bit like adoption. They've entered into, just before this moment, a relationship of love that is uh, committed, unbreaking, and forever. Now, that's the context. That's what's just happened. And now the Lord speaks directly to Israel, speaks uh, from inside the context of this new committed relationship and says, Israel, I am the Lord. And in so many words, he says, I am the Lord and I love you. And you know that I love you because you've seen what it is that I've done. I have rescued you from slavery. Uh, you didn't even know who I was, really, when I first entered into your life and began drawing you to myself and drawing you out of Egypt. I loved you before you loved me. I loved you with a preemptive love. And now the Lord says to Israel, now in this new committed relationship, this covenant, I want you to love me back. 
and I want you to trust me more than you trust anyone else, and I want you to love me more than you love anyone else. Now, pause there, because what I want you to see is that this first commandment, which is the basis of all the other commandments that follow, this first commandment is not mainly a behavior. This first commandment is a relationship. And this is super important. Think about Israel and think about Israel's background. They knew all about rule keeping. They, like, they had done rule keeping. They were slaves. And they had kept all of Pharaoh's rules and Pharaoh hoisted these rules upon them and they were crushed under the weight of these rules that dominated their slavery. But Pharaoh never loved them. Pharaoh just exploited them and crushed them. They know all about rules, and they know about relationships dominated by rules that then crush them. But this one's different. This one is in the context of a love and an intimacy that they had never anticipated, but that they were just beginning to taste. And here's one of the things that's so important about this. Emmanuel. Don't ever reduce the Ten Commandments to mere rule-keeping. It's bigger than that. And therefore, don't ever reduce the Christian life to mere rule-keeping. It's bigger than that and deeper. This is a bond of intimate and committed, sacrificial trust and love. Now, I can imagine somebody coming back and saying, Jim, you're reading way too much. Into, come on, man. It, just, it says, don't have any other gods before me. That's not what it's about. Well, if I'm reading too much into it, um, Jesus did that first. Do you remember how Jesus, I, I blame Jesus, Jesus said, it's always a good way to do it, anyways. Um, do, we, we read this earlier, do you remember when Jesus um, uh, summarizes the commandments, somebody comes to him and says, hey Jesus, what's the most important commandment? There's lots of them, which one's most important? And Jesus says, and we already read it in the service, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus boils all the commandments down to their root, which is love, love of God and love of neighbor, love of others. Now, we're going to talk about love of others as we go further in the commandments because they shift in that direction as time goes on. But right now, we're focusing on loving God. Now, keep all that in mind and come back to the text. Do you notice how exclusive this first commandment is? Uh, the Lord says, I'm your God, no competitors, no other loyalties, no uh, well-diversified portfolio of spirituality. Rather, the Lord says, this is going to be a fully monogamous relationship. Prefer me, Israel. Prefer me by trusting me more than anyone. Prefer me by loving me more than anyone. Now, my question is, why is the Lord so exclusive? And is, it, is that the beginning of the squishing? Um, think of it this way. A healthy marriage is exclusive in order to protect intimacy. A non-exclusive marriage is ripped apart by betrayal. And the same is true here. The Ten Commandments don't start merely with behavior. They start with relationship. They are animated by this trust and this love. And therefore, the Lord says, in order to protect that relationship of trust and love, this relationship needs to be exclusive. 
Because if you give your heart to another God, or if you give your deepest trust and love to someone else besides me, it, it, it will be a betrayal of our relationship, and it'll be a betrayal of me personally. And so it's exclusive. Now, um, let's kind of play with this for just a second. Uh, in your mind, um, think about that imaginary conversation between the person who doesn't grow up in church and the person who did grow up in church. Um, the kid that grows up in church feels burdened because he's never lived up to the commandments adequately. And the person outside church is, is really, really wary and cautious. What's going on there? Uh, loads of things. But here's one. Both of them, when they look at the Ten Commandments, they primarily see, maybe exclusively see, moral regulations. Don't steal. Uh, 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 watch your language. You know, um, don't commit adultery. And don't covet my donkey. You know, it's, it's those just kind of rules, right? That, that's in there, by the way. Did you, miss, did you miss that? Don't covet donkeys. Now, if that's all they are, if they're just merely uh, uh, behavioral regulations, then I might be persuaded to keep them. I might kind of comply with them, but there's not going to be any joy, and I'll, I'll typically do, I'll do the least I have to in order to kind of arguably comply, and I'll always be looking for loopholes for how I can get out of complying more fully. Um, I'll obey the commands a little bit like I pay my taxes. Uh, I pay my taxes. It's tax season. Did you forget? I don't like paying my taxes. Do you? Um, and I don't mean that as like a political statement. I, we should all pay our taxes. It's, it's super important. But it's not like something I enjoy. In fact, during tax season, usually the main thing I enjoy is finding some sort of, finding out that I actually owe less fewer taxes than I, than I thought I did. That's when I get really excited. I, I kind of do the minimum, and then if there's a, lo a legitimate loophole, yay, you know, kind of a thing. Now, if the Ten Commandments are just dead regulations, then that's how I'm going to follow them. But the problem is, they will always be a weight on me. And it, when I see that I failed, I'll end up ashamed and maybe despairing. But on the other hand, when I focus upon my compliance with them, I'll very often end up a bit proud of myself and self-righteous. Or if I find enough loopholes and justify them to myself, I might end up a hypocrite. But I won't end well. And even if I comply with all the commands outwardly, if I do not keep the first command, if I do not do it because I deeply trust God and love God, if I love something else more than God or trust something else more than God, then even my rule-keeping can end up just being a subtle kind of betrayal of the Lord. But on the other hand, if I start with this first commandment, and if I start where Israel was starting with God's preemptive love for me, and if I receive his word of love, and then, like we were talking about last week, allowing that word of love to uh, ricochet or echo off of my heart back to the Lord, then these Ten Commandments become expressions of sweet intimacy between me and my greatest love. In other words, love God more than everything else, and you will end up loving everything else more than you did before. And your obedience 
will not be, you know, a, it'll, it'll, it will become increasingly a delight. We don't always feel that in each moment, but it will become that. Uh, illustration, I'm a dad. I have two boys. And um, I understand that the law tells me that I have to take care of them, and if I don't take care of them, I can get into all kinds of trouble. But if you think that that's why I take care of my boys, then you don't have a clue. I aspire to give my life away for my two sons. I do it badly, but I aspire to give my life away for my two sons. It's a joy. And that's what a Christian says when we're sober before the Lord. You are my only God. You are my highest love because you love me preemptively. And I aspire, I do it badly, but I aspire to give away my life for you because I love you and that's my joy. Um, one of the concerns that people very often have uh, when it comes to the commandments is a little bit what I mentioned before. There's a concern that um, if I fully submit to the commandments and I try to keep them, um, then I'll end up, like I said, being squished and not living authentically to myself. Can you identify with that? We all can. If you identify with that, if you resonate with that, then just consider this. The Bible comes to us, and before the Bible ever says, follow all these commands, the Bible says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. The Lord's love, kind love for Israel preceded this very first command. And that's true for you too. Hear the word of the Lord's love for you first. And then consider this, very often people who feel most uh, fulfilled or authentic to themselves, very often they, they get there in one of two ways. Either they love someone else more than they love themselves, or they give themselves to a cause that's bigger than themselves. That's usually where fulfillment and, and a sense of authenticity and significance comes from. It almost never comes from me looking within my own heart and trying to find myself, because that usually just kind of compounds my anxieties. And the Bible says that there's a reason why looking outside ourselves is usually the best way to find deep fulfillment. And, and the Bible goes back right to the very beginning and says that you were designed, ultimately, to live for something that's bigger than you. Part of your design makeup is to live for something outside you and bigger than you. And the Bible says that, that we were all of us designed for a very particular relationship. And it's a relationship with God to receive his love, to respond to him in love, and then to live for his cause. And that's what this first commandment is summoning us to. Which leads us to this really big claim, and it's this. You will never be more authentically yourself than when you are losing yourself in love and following the Lord. And if that sounds strange, then keep hanging out with us and test it. All right. Let me, let's land the plane here, and let me just ask a question. Do you trust the Lord more than anything? Do you love the Lord more than anything? And my guess is that there will be some of us who, even as I ask that question, there will be a little warmth in your soul, a little bit of you that says, oh, I know I don't, but I kind of want to, and I sometimes seems that I do. 
And if that happens in your soul, rejoice. And thank the Lord. And mark that, kind of bookmark that love, that warmth for the Lord. Because every single week we're going to have to come back as we explore these commandments. We're going to come back to that love for the Lord because that's the animating center of all of them. And you can't keep any of them without keeping the first one first. But then my guess is that for many of us, I ask, do you trust the Lord more than anyone? Do you love the Lord more than anyone? And your soul just kind of looks at that with a bewildered look and you just kind of think, well, I know the right answer, but the real one's no. And if that's where you're at, I want to say that's a good place too. Why? For this reason. Not one single person in this room can generate love for God. Not one single person in this room can keep this commandment. Not one single person in this room can generate trust and love for God above everything else. This commandment, see this causes a problem. This commandment is the most important commandment. It's the key to all of the commandments. And yet not one of us can keep this commandment adequately. We can try. We can pretend And some of us are very, very skilled in that. Particularly if you grew up in the church, you're probably really skilled at acting like you're keeping these commandments. But the problem is we can try, but it never really works. And that explains why hypocrisy is so endemic within the church and why it is that we end up in our hypocrisy and in our pretending we end up uh, very often weaponizing these commandments against other people. It explains why so many of us are are self-righteous and self-loathing at the same time because we're pretenders. And so if I feel that I cannot fully love God and I know that I feel it, it's a good thing because it means that I'm beginning to stop pretending. Bookmark that feeling. Because we'll need to come back to that every single week. Because every one of these commandments is going to cause us to slam right up against our inability to trust God well. And our inability to love God well. We will slam up against our inability to keep this first commandment when we look at all the rest of the commandments. And I know that that brings problems because I can hear somebody saying, oh no, that's what I was afraid of. Maybe I'll skip the next few weeks. Don't. Why? Because you have not come to a cruel Pharaoh. You have come to a kind Lord who loves liberating slaves. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. And so when you slam up against your own inability to love God well, which is to say when you slam up against the crushing weight of one's own slavery, that is a precious moment. It is a glorious moment. And I say it's glorious and I say it's precious because that's the moment that you're ready to see Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who ever kept this commandment. Jesus, all through his ministry, was again and again coming to God and saying, Father, you are my only God, and you are my highest joy and my highest love, and I aspire to give away my life for you, and that is my joy. And then the Father speaks back to Jesus all through his ministry and says, Jesus, I know you love me, and I want you to show your love for me by giving away your life as a ransom for those who do not love me. I want you to give away your life for those who have openly, knowingly, purposefully rebelled against my commandments. And I also want you to give your life in ransom for those who pretended the strict rule keepers and the subtle hypocrites. I want you to give your life for all of them because you love me. And Jesus did. And that's what he was doing upon the cross. (laughs) He was dying the death that we deserve 
And he was loving God above all. And he rose again with grace and mercy. And his grace and his mercy reaches out to you, especially at that moment where you feel your inability to love God well. Feel that. You cannot generate your love for God, but you can receive grace and love from Jesus Christ. So trust Jesus. And as you receive him, you will hear Jesus Christ say to you, call you by name, and say to you particularly, I am the Lord your God who brought Israel out of Egypt, and now I am the Lord your God who brings you by name out of your own slavery, and I bring you to myself because I have loved you with a preemptive love that went before anything in you. And as you hear Jesus say that to you by name, then the Holy Spirit enters your soul and awakens your heart to be able to respond by saying, Jesus, yes, you are, and you are my only God, and I desire to lose my life for you. Let that be my joy. And that will be the beginning of everything. And Christian, as that becomes chronic in your soul, we will all of us be transformed. And that's where these commandments are going to take us. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.